Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Is He worthy of honor? Is He worthy of glory? Hallelujah. He's worthy. He's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He's worthy. When no one else could open up the books to loose the seven seals thereof, Jesus was found in the midst of them. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. And they said, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to open up the books and loose the seven seals. Amen. Glory be to God. And they began to sing a new song. Worthy, worthy, worthy is Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Amen. Oh, He's worthy. Thank you, dear Father God. Let's open up our Bibles to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Does anybody know what we're talking about? By now? It's only about the seventh lesson. <laughs> That's all. We said we're going slow, though, didn't we? Amen? We're going slow because we want to get it deep into our spirits. The only place that the Word will do you any good is in your heart, not in your head. You can get inside your spirit, man, and it will do you good. It will produce fruit. Amen. Let's begin reading with verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in the stony places... The same is he that heareth the word, and Annan with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while. When tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the Good ground is he that heareth the word, and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and the anointing that's upon it. It shall go forth under the power of the Holy Spirit. It shall produce life, and light, and love unto those that hear the word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we said that the sower sows the seed. The seed is the word of God. We said that uh, the object of the parable is the Word of God. We said that the, I mean, the subject of the parable is the Word of God. The object of it is to produce results, to produce fruit, to bear the fruit of righteousness. Amen? And you can just tack on to that anything you want. You can say, bear the fruit of healing in your body. You can say, bear the fruit of love in your heart. You can say, bear the fruit of uh, anything, peace, joy, whatever, whatever the fruit is. If you need financial assistance or help, then it'll bear you that fruit too. Amen? It'll bear all the fruit of the kingdom of God, because this is talking about how the Word of God works inside the heart of the believer. And it's for us as individuals. Well, we said that the Word is incorruptible. The seed is the Word, and it's incorruptible. It cannot fail. The Word says in Isaiah 55:11, So shall my Word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not come back void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. The Word says forever, my Word is settled in heaven. It's settled. That's all there is to it. God is not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should repent. If God said it, He'll do it. If He's spoken, He'll make it good. Amen? God cannot lie. 
Not that he won't, just that he cannot. It's impossible for God to lie because he's absolute truth. It's impossible for him to hate because he's absolute love. It's impossible for him to kill because he's absolute life. Uh oh. Got you there. No, God didn't take anybody away. The Bible says that the thief comes but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Isn't that right? Is that what it says? Well, let God be God. Let His Word be true. Amen? He said the thief is the one that kills and steals and destroys. He said He had the power of death. The devil. Amen? Jesus came to destroy him. Okay, let's look down in verse um, 19 here. Now, notice we said these things. We said we're just going to go just a little bit, add something more. We said that the seed can't fail. We said the failure is only in the heart of the believer or the heart of the person that's receiving the Word. And I think if we can just get that into full gospel circles, they can open up their eyes. The failure is not with the Word. The failure is with the person, the heart. And that's why Jesus is laying down for us the different conditions of the heart. And if we can understand the conditions of the heart, find out where your heart is, move on. <laughs> Don't stay where you're at. Just get it all weeded out. Get all the stones out. Get a big old rake and rake all the garbage out. Eat the hay. Leave the sticks out. Amen. And fill up your heart with the good things. Amen. Amen. And then you'll have a heart that's good and meat. Then you'll be a vessel unto honor. Able to do the work of Jesus Christ in this earth and to bear much fruit. In verse 19, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. What did, it, what did the evil one come to steal away? The Word. He didn't come to steal away, you know, you, but the Word. The Word in your heart. Why? Because the Word, if it's allowed to remain in your heart, will produce. Isn't that right? The Word will produce. If you need to be healed tonight, the Word will heal you. 107 Psalm, verse 20, sent his Word and healed them. Someone said, well, why didn't I get it? I've been prayed for all down through the years. This is not because you're prayed for. Once you get the seed inside your heart, the Word inside your heart, you've got to keep it there. And if you didn't learn how to keep it there, then you're not going to get it. So it's the condition of the heart. Someone hears it the first time, they don't understand it. They get the seed planted into their heart. Someone says, I don't have enough faith. If you've got faith to get the seed in your heart, you've got faith. If you're saved, you've got faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. The gift of God. He gave us the faith to be saved with. He dealt to every man the measure of faith. It was the faith that got the Word into the heart. That's why someone says, well, I, if I had more faith, I can do it. You don't need faith. You need patience. Patience. So you see, as the Word was planted inside the heart, the devil came along and stole it out of that heart because he didn't understand the operation of the kingdom of God in the heart of man. Well, we already talked about that guy. Let's go to the next guy. Verse 20. But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and Adam with joy receiveth it. Well, that's good. He's doing good. Yet he hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while, when tribulation and persecution ariseth for the word, because of the word. Because of what? By and by he is what? So we saw that lack of depth. Notice he had faith to receive the word. He also had joy. He received it with joy. But he didn't have enough depth. So when affliction and persecution or tribulation and persecution came, by and by he was offended and it caused the little plant that started to grow to be scorched out. We saw that previously. What should this guy have known? We've talked about the negative side. What should this guy have known about tribulation? 
or, or affliction or persecution. If he would have known this, hold your place there. If he would have known this, he'd have been happy. Go to Romans 5.5. 5. If he would have known this about his tribulation, he'd get a start to shout right in the middle of it. But since he didn't know it, he started to get like them Israelites out in the wilderness, complaining, chiding, murmuring against God. Isn't that right? Of course, none of the saints at Midland do that. Amen? That's right. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. We don't do that here. We glorify God, not the devil. Let's look over here at verse 3. All right? And not only so, but we glory in what? See, he said, here come tribulation. Well, you might as well face it. It's coming. I know it's coming. You know it's coming. But here's what you should do. Glory in it. Remember Paul says, I glory in all that affliction that was coming his way? He says, glory in tribulation. Also, knowing, knowing, knowing. If you don't know this, then you won't glory in tribulation. You've got to know that tribulation worketh what? Wasn't one of the things that we said about the good heart was that he kept the word in his heart with what? Well, this tribulation worketh. Someone says, oh Lord, give me patience. No, you don't want tribulation. The devil's giving you tribulation. The, the patience comes through it, but it'll, it'll work it out that way. But glory to God, God's not giving it to you. Tribulation worketh patience. And what else? Patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope make it not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Now, remember what we said over there in James, the first chapter, verses 2, 3, and 4, right on through there? He said, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing the trying of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have her perfect work. You know what the perfect work of patience is? Love. Perfect work of patience. Perfect love casteth out all fear. Tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because of the love. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit that's given us. And so the person that gets either afflicted or, pers- or through trials and tribulations should know this. Glory to God, this is just another opportunity for me to grow in patience. And I'm letting patience have her perfect work in me so that I may be in perfect, perfect, entire, and wanting nothing. Amen? Therefore, it's going to work experience in your life. And once that experience comes, you're going to have hope. This is godly hope. Glory to God. You know what that hope is? Walking like Jesus. Glory to God. I can do it now. See, back, back then, some us, I, I remember you know, some say, well, you know, I didn't know that it was attainable. I didn't know that I could walk like Jesus. I, I, we talk about it, but we know that we could do it. But you see, that experience worketh hope. And boy, I'll tell you what, something on the inside rises up and says, you know, I can walk this walk. I can live this life. I can walk in divine health without being sick anymore. Glory be to God, I can be prosperous. Amen. I can walk the way Jesus wants me to live on this earth. I can cast out devils and speak with new tongues and take up serpents and etc. etc. Amen. I can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Hallelujah. And so you get so excited that you keep on going with God. And you keep on going with God. And it begins to produce that perfect love. Then look out. Look out. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Perfect love casteth out all fear. And we find out that this, this person gets into fear. And that's why, you see, he loses out with God. 
if he doesn't endure his temptations and trials. Then we said the guy about, about that was persecuted. Back there in Matthew, he said, what came? Uh, tribulation. When tribulation comes, and then he said persecution comes. Well, what should this guy, what should this guy know about persecution? If he had known this about persecution, instead of getting all upset and, you know, frustrated over it, he'd have started to get excited because it says, anytime we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, Jesus said, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Exceedingly glad. Peter said, you should rejoice about it because spirit of glory does rest upon you. When? When you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And if you suffer it, for righteousness' sake, not for disobedience, but for righteousness' sake, then we have a crown. That crown of glory. That crown of glory rests upon us. Here, we can go right on through the whole book of Acts and everywhere they got persecuted. It wasn't like them guys in the Old Testament. When they got persecuted, they started to complain against God. When the New Testament believers, when they got persecuted, they started to give glory to God. Didn't they? And what happened? The earth shook. Jailhouse doors blew open. Amen. All kinds of things happened. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to live my life, don't you? Amen. So this here guy should have known something. If he would have known this and got this in his heart, then when the affliction came and the persecution came, he would have known that it was working patience in his life, and he would have known that it was causing the spirit of glory to rest upon him. Now, if you know that... Now, see, here's, here's, here's what people say about the faith wall. They say, you make it sound like a bed of roses. No, we didn't say that. We didn't say that. We didn't say there wouldn't be any labor. The scripture says labor to enter into that rest. Isn't that right? We know that. But we've got to know this. We don't have to be defeated. You're going to have to labor to enter into this. We're not saying you could get to a point that tribulation and affliction ever come on you. But you can get to the point that the word that's in you is far greater than the tribulation and the affliction and the persecution that comes your way. In other words, his Al Shaddai, the goal that's more than enough for the guy down the street, might only have been this big. But somebody knows who he is in Christ, he becomes El Shaddai, the goal that's more than enough. Bigger than that little situation of yours, amen? See, that's what we're talking about. And we're going to let this here seed grow and develop inside our spirits until we get to the place that, yes, he can part the Red Sea again if he, if he had to. Amen? Amen. He can raise the dead up in our midst if he wants to. Glory to God. And he can use you and he can use you and he can use me. He can use anybody to do that. Well, we've got to hold this next guy. We've got to shake him a bit. Verse 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns. Is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word? Now go to Mark 4 because uh, I think he left something out. Well, he may have left something out there or whatever, but Mark is a little bit more explicit. Mark 4, 18 and 19. Let's read that. We're going back and forth. It's the same parable. It's just in a different gospel. Luke got it recorded in Luke 8. Okay, he said in uh, verse 18, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares, underlined cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. Those three. Okay, now listen to the next part. Entering in. Entering in, entering into the heart, do what to the Word? 
Now he's received the word. He heard the word, received the word, understood the word. It actually started to grow in him. Let's say it was the healing of his body. He was, it was actually beginning to develop and to grow inside his spirit. But before he could bear fruit, the thorns entering in, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choked it. It became unproductive. It could not bear fruit. Let's start with some, I think I gave you some definitions last time. Let's go back to, first of all, the cares. The cares of this world. Now, we said that the cares were the worries, the frets, the anxieties of this life. Causes us to be distracted from the Word of God. The cares, the worries, the frets, the anxieties of life causes us to be distracted from the Word of God. It causes us to have two frames of reference. Now, remember that the attack that Satan is putting on the Word in your heart is designed to draw your attention away from the Word. The Word remaining in you will bear fruit. Remember Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. The word abide means remain, dwell, or stay put inside you. Ask what you will, it shall be done unto you. Here it is, my Father, glorified that you bear much fruit. So what he's got to do, he has not the power to take that word out of you. He doesn't have the power to do it. The only power he's got is to deceive you so that you could turn around the power you have to get it out of you. How many of you know that life and death, death and life are in the power of the tongue? Satan only has the power of death, only had the power of death. But you and I as, as human beings, as children of God, we've got the power of death and life, both. And we've got the right to choose. So it's in the power of the tongue. So with the same force, is this what he's saying? The same way the sower sows life into his spirit, by speaking forth the word of life into his spirit, is the same way Satan deceives you through your thought life to get you to turn around that authority and speak negative, speak contrary to the word of God, to uproot that seed or the plant that's inside of you. And if he can get you to start to do that, and I'll give you an example, then he's going to destroy the word that's inside you. you you've been believing God for your healing. The hands were laid on you, and uh, that word was growing inside you. That healing was, you know, coming manifest inside your spirit, coming out to the outward man. And that's how the word works. We're seeing that here. And you endured for maybe three days. You endured for a while. But all of a sudden, you got caught up into the, you know, affairs of this life. You got caught up into things you had to do. And suddenly... The devil comes along and puts a pain right where you have that, right where you believe God you were healed. And the first thing you said was, oh, look like I didn't get it. You just uprooted your healing right there. You just went into your garden, you dug up your little plant, your pepper plant, came back into the house, and you know what you said to your fellow uh, beloved sisters and brothers in the Lord? You said, now, brother, I prayed. I went back there and prayed, and I just, you know, planted that nice seed into the ground. It came up so nice, it was pretty, it was beautiful. But you know what? I went back there and dug out that pepper plant and I just brought it inside the house. And you know it won't produce any fruit. No peppers. I've been waiting out for three months. I dug that thing out of the garden way back in, you know, May. Here, here now it's August and it's not producing any pepper plant, any peppers. How come? Wasn't God's will. Mustn't be God's will. Well, certainly it's the will of that pepper plant to produce peppers, isn't it? As long as it stays where? In the ground. 
But most Christians don't know that the power of life and death's in the tongue. And so they go off and say, well, dear God, you know, I got prayed for this last Sunday night, and I believe I received my healing. Oh, yeah? Oh, it doesn't look like you're healed. Uh-oh. Oh, I guess I mustn't be healed. You just dug it right up out. Just choked out that word that was growing inside your heart. And if you don't put it back into the ground, it's not going to grow. And you're not going to get your healing. And don't go off and say it wasn't God's will, because your heart failed to produce the word. We're going to see that more clear as we go along. Well, the cares of this world. How many of you know that Paul said, go to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Let's read it. I'll keep quoting them to you and I won't give you any exercise in your fingers tonight. Amen. Philippians, the fourth chapter. Someone says, well, you preach a lot of this stuff. Can you do it all? Well, I'll tell you what. How many of you know a guy named Paul? Remember him? He was the short one. <laughs> With no hair. <laughs> Hallelujah. Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 6. I heard so many stories about Paul that, glory, thank God he's in glory right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. They've got him walking with a cane, you know, out there in the sea. They've got him pus flowing out of his eyes, can't see where he's going. You know, maybe they got a seeing eye dog or something. I don't know what they got. But yet he just traveled all the continents walking in the power of the Spirit. Went and preached the gospel, got stoned to death, got up and went back into the city the next day after got stoned. Sounds like a sickly man to me, huh? Well, this same character, this apostle Paul, he said, be careful for nothing in verse 6. Look at that verse. Who said that? He said, be careful for what? Don't take the care of what? Don't take the worries, the anxieties, or the frets of what? Well, how come Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 12, 11, 28... Took the care of the church. Did you see that? Hold your place there. Let's look at it. We mentioned this last time. Go to 2 Corinthians. Eleventh chapter. He talked about all the persecution and affliction that came from without. In verse 28 he said, Besides those things that are without... That which cometh upon me daily, the what? Now, why did he become the one to be responsible for taking the care of all the churches? I thought that Jesus was the head of the church. Isn't he? It wasn't Paul's responsibility to take the care of the worry or the frustrations of the church. It was Paul's duty to preach the word of God, Christ and Him crucified. And Paul didn't have to take the worries or the cares of the church. He said, be careful for nothing. Go back to Philippians, the fourth chapter there. Be careful for nothing. Not even the care of the church. Someone said to me, hey, you taking care of the church? No. They say, don't you have any you know, trouble down there at the church? No. What kind of a pastor are you? One who doesn't believe in taking the care of the church. It's his care. He said, cast all your care on me. Didn't he? Why? Because he careth for me. So why should I take it? I'm not going to take it. But just like Paul was tempted to take it, and he took a little bit of it, everybody's at one point or other vulnerable to take that care. And if you don't get rid of it, you better look out. So if you see yourself starting to take the care of certain situations, get rid of it. 
Don't play with it. Just get rid of it. And this is how to do it. He said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts. And we said, you keep the word in your heart with patience, and that peace will be right there. All that peace that passes all understanding is going to be right there to keep your heart and your mind. Why? That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Why? Because he trusteth in thee. See? You trust in him, not in your own ability. Paul was trusting in his own ability to take the care of the church, and he didn't have the ability to do it. But he got straightened out, as you can see this right here. He went on to say, down at the latter part of that verse... I know how to be abased, uh, verse 12, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. I, everywhere, in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. I can do all things. He wrote this book later. Amen. I can do all things. And that's what we're talking about, getting to the place that we can do all things through Jesus. Let's go back now to Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, and we're going to see something about taking the care. If you take the care, the Word will not remain fixed in your heart. If you take the care, then He can't take the care. Isn't that right? If you've got it, He can't have it. You've got to give it to Him. We're going to see that in a minute. Let's look at Luke 10. Let's start with verse 38. Now, I want you to put on some spiritual eyes as we read this. We'll call it a law of double reference if you want to. Now it came to pass, verse 38, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received, received him, he's the word, received, this means receive, into, received him, the word, into her what? Into her house. Now you could take that literally. You could take it spiritually. Let's read it. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet. Sounds like Martha was sitting there too, doesn't it? Also sat at Jesus' feet and did what? So there she was. She received the word into her house. Heard the word. Received the word into her house, right? Sat at his feet. Heard the word. Received the word into her house. Listen. But Martha was cumbered. The word cumbered means to draw around, to draw away. Or to draw into another direction. But Martha was drawn away. She was cumbered about. You ever get down to where you're praying and, and all of a sudden all these thoughts go through your mind. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And before you know it, you only prayed two minutes and you got up and you're starting to do something. You're cumbered about with too many thoughts. Listen. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, you see, she was sitting there at his feet, hearing the word of God, and she got to thinking. You see, the devil dropped a few thoughts. You've got to get some cookies for these guys. You've got to make some tea, you know. Amen. Well, I don't know what they ate, cake, bread, whatever. Amen. So now you just go off and, and before you know it, she, there he is. She's listening to the master. Right there at, his, at her house. Right at the foot of Jesus. What does she do? I've got to go make bread. Isn't that like a woman that likes to bake? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> what about the men? <laughs> well, praise God. 
I'll get out of it. Amen. Okay. And so, she left to serve. And it goes on to say, Bid her, therefore, that she help me. So she got all upset. And she says, well, I'm gonna, I've got to make some food for these people and so on and so forth. She got all upset. Mary's not helping me. She's just sitting down there. Boy, that lazy old thing. She got upset. So I said, all that person does is study and study the Bible. Don't they ever do anything? Well, let's see what Jesus said about it. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art... What? Thou art careful. You worry. You have anxiety. You're fretting. You can't even change the one hair on your head. But yet here you are. You're all worried about it. You're all taking the care of it. That's one thing to be responsible. It's another thing to take the care. Just because you don't take the care does not mean you're not responsible. You can still get your work done without taking the care of it. And let's go on and see what Jesus said about this. Thou art careful and troubled not only about baking and serving and cooking, but about many things. You're always concerned whether your kids are going to come home on time. You're always concerned what they're doing now, what they're doing then. If they go out, where they're going. If they're doing this, whatever they're doing. You're always concerned about where your husband's at. You're always concerned about what your wife's doing. You're always concerned about this. You're concerned and careful about everything. That's what he's saying to her. Now look at what that, that last verse there. See what happens. Jesus said, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. But it is you. She chose the good part. The word was taken away. Martha had the word dry up, had the plant scorched, had the word choked in her heart because the cares came upon her and she took them. I mean, Jesus could have just said, just give me one loaf of bread, whatever you got, and I'll multiply it. Just sit down and listen. You ever saw him think when he fed that multitude that they were sitting there for how many days and they didn't eat? Looked like to me that they was more concerned about the Word than food, didn't it? And Jesus said, since they've stayed here this long, I'm going to feed them. They were more concerned about the Word. They had, see, they, they took the, the part that was good, the part that was needful. So he fed them. He could have done the same thing right there. And Martha wouldn't have to do all that work. That'd be nice when I'd have all them dirty dishes. I mean, you know, just, just like that. Jesus would have multiplied it right there. said, let's go. Well, she took the care, consequently... Let's go to 1 Peter 5, 7. She's going to have that word stolen from her heart. And that's what most people do. They have the word. It's not that they don't have faith. Now listen. It's not that you do not have faith. You have faith to produce the word in your heart. You all do. And the moment you pray, your prayer is heard and answered. Boom. Right in your heart. There it is. It's right there. There's a seed in your heart. But you did not take time to develop that word that you've already received. Consequently, you got caught up in the cares of this world and the Word was choked out. When it was a plant, before it produced the fruit. And then the first thing that they run off and say is, well, it's not God's will to heal me. Sure it was. Keep that Word in your heart with patience and you'll get your healing. I know somebody who is a wonderful woman of faith. I just heard about. She had a tumor... She walked in divine health for nine years. She had a tumor. And uh, 
tumor came on her body and she said, uh, I didn't know where it came from, but I wasn't going to Egypt to get rid of it. Egypt's the world, the doctor. She said, I wasn't going to Egypt to get rid of it. She said, I'm going to God. And uh, that woman was so devoted, she, she took the time to spend seven hours many times a day just praying in tongues for her healing. She prayed in tongues seven hours a day. For, say, thank you, Father, receive my healing. I know another guy, he spent six and seven hours a day reading the Bible, saying, just bringing his word back to his memory, saying, I'm healed. And just listen to tapes, listen to tapes, listen to tapes. Spoke the word, prayed in tongues, took the words, prepared their hearts to so, so perfectly. You say, well, didn't they have to do this and didn't they have to do that and didn't they have to do this? I'll tell you what, friends, if you've got cancer, if you've got a malignant tumor in your body, forget the world. When you go in the hospital, who does your dishes? Hey, I've been there. I've seen people in the hospital. They don't care what's going on at the house, especially if they're in pain. They could care less what's going on at the house. That's how your attitude should be now. Care less. Careless. Isn't that right? They don't care what's going on. They don't care who's doing anything. If they're racked with pain in their body, they're just going to lie there and say, who cares, you know, what's going on there? Especially if they're at the point of death. They're not taking the care of anything that's going on in the house. Sometimes you need to have that same attitude. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to set myself apart for prayer and fasting and worship and thanksgiving with God. I'm going to take care of that word inside my heart until I blow that tumor out of my body by the word of God. And then try and say it, don't worry. It works. But people don't want to take the time to make it work. But they'll spend a year, all their money to go to, a, uh, like I said, a hospital or something like that. And they'll, you know, go out of their way to do all that. And all they can do is probably cut part of your body out. Well, the Lord says, if you'll just come to me. Amen? And the smaller things, sometimes we don't take the time. We say, well, it's just a little sniffle. Oh, it just feels like the flu. What did you do about it? Oh, I didn't do anything, really. What are you waiting for? Till it gets worse? You better get it the first day you feel it. And you better get in your prayer closet. You better get on your knees. You better lift up your hands. And say, thank you that I am healed. Thank God I don't let sickness or disease live in my body. Flu, you've got to go to somebody else's house. I don't take anything that doesn't come from heaven and there's no heavenly flu. Amen? Right? And you better do it till it leaves your body. I mean, that's the way to do it. Now listen, it took that, it took that saint of God seven months. Seven months. Seven months. But it was gone. Patience and endurance. It will not fail. It will not fail unless you fail. And that's why I say I'd rather have the Word of God. I'd rather hear this Word day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. To know that that Word is working mightily in me. And that's the way it's going to work. And that's the way you're going to bring fruit. First Peter, the fifth chapter. And I'll tell you exactly what you're doing, friends, when you do this is you are humbling yourself to the Word. Now, that tumor was real inside that woman's body, but she humbled herself to the Word, and this is how she did it. She would have, have the temptation of taking that care upon herself. What am I going to do now? It could be malignant. first thing the devil tells you, if you've got uh, you know, something like that, it's malignant. That's the first thing that the devil says to you. You might as well just face it going to talk to you. You get a little pain over here. Oh, I wonder if it's cancer. Oh, yeah, that's what the devil does in your mind. He tries to put all these stupid thoughts inside your mind. And I'll tell you what, some people take them. And they talk, them right in this, right, they talk themselves right into being sick. That's right. 
Well, now he said over here in 1 Peter 5, let's look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. How do I humble myself under the almighty hand of God? Verse 7 answers that question. Well, how? Casting all your... Upon... Why? He cares for me. But what he's saying is this. If you don't cast your care on me, I can't care for you. Humble yourself before me, he's saying, and cast your care on me. And if you cast your care on me, I care for you. That's an act of hum true humility is casting your care on him. I mean that. You are actually bowing to his word. You say, but it's real. That lump is real. Or whatever it is, that thing on your body is real. Sure it is. But God's Word is ultimate reality. And I say, dear God, you told me in your Word, by His stripes I am healed. I don't look it, I don't feel it, but I humble myself under your Word. Thank you, Father, that I'm healed. Thank you, Father, that I'm healed. Thank you, Lord, that I'm healed. Hallelujah. And you just keep on doing that with faith and patience and keep it in your heart. And one day, you know what the Word says? God's not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, the same shall he also reap. And if you keep sowing to your spirit like that, you know what you'll reap? Life. The word is zoe, including healing of the body. You keep sowing to your spirit like that, and that thing's got to leave your body. It has no right to stay there. But if the devil comes along with the uh, cares of this world, if you take the care of it, he's going to turn that thing right around, and the very words that you spoke to get it out are the very words that's going to cause it to destroy your life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit. Eat the fruit. That's what he's talking about. Same thing there about the fruit. Bear fruit. What fruit do you want to eat? The fruit of life. The fruit of health and healing. Isn't that right? Well, I want to eat that fruit too. He said a man's belly shall be satisfied. That's his spirit satisfied by the fruit of his mouth. And with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. That's his spirit. Death and life therefore are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit. Eat the fruit. You can eat the fruit of life, health, and healing by putting the Word of God in your heart and speaking the Word. Now, he said, cast all your care upon Him because He cared for you. But go back to James, the fourth chapter, and we see a little bit more insight as to casting your care upon Him. Let's read verses 6 through 8. But He giveth more grace. Notice that. He giveth what? More grace. Grace of peace is multiplied to the knowledge. He giveth more grace. More grace. James 4, 6. He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the what? I could get off into it right now. <laughs> God resisteth the proud. I've heard more people tell me, Now, brother, I would never say that I'm healed if i got something on my body. Well, keep it. Pride. He didn't ask you to say it wasn't there. See, people get this here mixed up. They say, That preacher told me to say that it wasn't here. Oh, no, no, no one ever told you to say that. The Scripture says, Believe you receive. I didn't say it wasn't on my body. I said, I believe I received my healing. And I'm allowed to believe what I want to believe. 
Lord, if you said, if I believe I receive, I shall have, then I believe I receive my healing. Well, what's that on your arm? I believe I receive my healing. Tell me what that is. I believe I receive my healing. Well, I believe it's there. Believe what you want. I believe I receive my healing. I believe I receive my healing. I believe that my marriage is healed. I believe that I have prosperity. I believe that my needs are met. I believe that my bills are paid. I believe my God is more than enough. What do you believe about your God? If He wants to. Hallelujah. God resisteth the proud. Get off the high horse and get down on God's level. Hot humility. Amen. God resisteth the pride, the proud, but giveth grace, more grace to the humble. Amen. Don't go in as a beggar. Go there in humility. Lord, your word says I'm healed, but this body says it isn't. I bow to your word. Hey, I'm humble. Amen. That's what he's saying. Look at here. He, God resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist that devil, and he'll flee from you. And most people turn that around. They submit to the devil, and they resist God. Submitting to God is submitting to His Word. Submit, therefore, to God. Submit to God. What do you mean? Submit it. Tell Him, Lord, you said I'm healed. Lord, you said I'm prosperous. Lord, you said you supply all my needs. Lord, you said all these things. I submit to you. And if you're not big enough to pull it off, then nobody is. There's no sense in going to somebody else if he can't do it. Who can? He can, though, can he? So submit to what God said and resist the devil. Now, devil... You've got no right to put sickness or disease on my body. Devil, you've got no right to tie up my finances. Mr. Devil, you've got no right to interfere with my marriage. Mr. Devil, you can't steal my kids from me or from Jesus. I resist you in Jesus' name. I submit myself to the Word. Lord, I trained up my kids in the way they should go, and they'll never depart from it. Doesn't look like it. Doesn't say whether it looks like it or not. It just said, just do it and believe it. Submit yourself to His Word. Amen? Amen. Well, look what else He said here. Being double-minded is resisting God. Look what He said. Draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh unto you. Notice, draw nigh to Him, and He'll draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hand, your sinners, and purify your hearts. Purify your hearts. He's not talking. He's not talking to unbelievers. Listen. Purify your hearts. You want? You know what that means? You people that got two frame of references. With one breath you seek me. With the other breath you say that it's no good. With one breath you say, Lord, heal me. And the other breath you say, I'm sick. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Either do one thing or the other. Jesus either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree corrupt or its fruit corrupt. Why? Because the tree is known by its fruit. But he's trying to say, I don't know you guys. In one breath you say I'm ill, and the next breath you say I'm sick. One breath you say I'm prosperous, and the next breath you say my, I can't pay my bills. He said, hey. You know, that's why he said every idle word, every idle word, you're going to give account of on the day of judgment. There you are in the middle. He says, either be one way or be the other. Either say I can't pay my bills and never will, 
or say, glory be to God, my God supplies all my need, and that's all there is to it. And I can pay all my bills. Say your body's healed in Jesus' name. Isn't that right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, purify that heart, you double-minded. Get your mind single-minded, and it'll produce light to the body. We, we studied that before. We won't get into it now. So that's what he's saying here. We've got to draw nigh unto God through His Word, and He'll draw nigh unto us, and He will give us more grace. Get to the place that you've got abundance of grace, and you'll reign as a king in this life. Romans 5.17. Amen. I want to reign as king, don't you? He's made us kings and priests unto God. We might as well reign as one. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's go to the next. Back over there, he said, first of all, it was the cares. So if you want to get rid of your cares, cast your care on Him. I don't got time to get into all this because we don't have time to finish anything here. But cast your care on Him. Now listen when I say this. I've got to say it. I'm going to say it. If the temptation comes to worry, let's say you did believe God for uh, your children. Let's say that they were not living for Jesus by the outward appearance. And the devil comes along and starts putting his thoughts in your mind. Them kids will never come back to God. They'll never come back to God. Wonder what they're doing tonight. You know what they're doing tonight? As soon as that thought comes, you stop right there and you start talking to them. You say, Mr. Devil, in case you forgot your eyeglasses and don't know how to read, I'm going to read to you what God's Word said. Proverbs 22, 6 says... Train up the child in the way he should go. When he gets old, he'll not depart from it. I've trained up my child in the way he should go. And I bless God he's not departed from it. And I don't see him depart from it. I see him walking hand in hand with the Master. What's the matter? Are you blind? I see him walking on the streets of glory. I see him as saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues, a good steward of the Christian faith. Glory be to God. That's how I see him. You know what? He'll flee from you as entire so fast that thought will go just like that. Because he has no defense for the word. Don't just start hollering. Holler the word at him. And cast that care on him. When those thoughts come immediately, don't let them become strongholds or imaginations or he'll get you down. Now the next thing was the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of this world are designed to distract you from the word of God. Because the Word will work if it stays there. But if you're distracted from it, He could destroy it. Then the deceitfulness of riches is another way that He comes in to try to distract you from the Word of God. Now the word deceive means to present as truth that which is a lie. To deceive. And He's talking about riches. He's talking about finance. He's talking about money here. Basically... Of course, there's other, other things, too, that's involved, the pride of life. But what he's saying here, there's, a, there's deception in the area of riches. Now, the word means to deceive. To deceive means to, to present as a truth that which is a lie. That's what Satan did in the Garden of Eden. Remember? He presented to be truth that which was a lie. It was just a little bit of a lie. But it still was a lie. And he presented it to be his truth. Thou shalt not surely die, but God said you will. So he presented to them truth, that which was a lie. Now, in the area of, of deceitfulness of riches, it gives you another frame of reference, just like the cares of this world does. But there's two things I want to point out about this area that has caused people to miss out with God. And the reason why he's bringing up all these here different things, the cares of this world, uh, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, 
Because he's going to hit you in all of the five areas. The afflictions, the persecutions, uh, the cares, the deceitfulness of riches, and lots of other things. If he can't get you in one, he's coming at the other. To be a well-balanced Christian, you've got to get him in all five of them. You've got to know how to handle him in every area that he's coming at you with. So in the area of the deceitfulness of riches, there's two things that I always hear. And they're both wrong. Number one, it's wrong for a Christian to be rich. Write it down, wrong. Lie of the devil. Number two, it's right for a Christian to be poor. Wrong. <laughs> Write it down. That's a lie of the devil. They're both lies of the devil. Well, oh, but they sound so religious. They sound so religious, don't they? They sound so, oh, brother. The person, the poor person is so poor that they're proud of it. You didn't get that. I think the best way I've ever heard this described is found in James. You're in James there. James, the first chapter. I want you to see. I mean that. The one guy, he's so wealthy, he thinks he should get his healing because he's got so much money. And the other one's so poor. Now, Lord, I never asked you for anything. Asking you. You have not because you ask not. Right? Isn't that right? And they're so proud of the fact that they're... Now, listen, Lord, I've been poor all my life. Never asked for anything. Never wanted anything. How come? Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Isn't that right? He said, let patience have a perfect work and you'll be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Not poor and beggarly, wanting nothing. Right? Now, don't get on, get on me because I said that. Let the Word explain it. I mean, you could be just as greedy with nothing. You think that's a joke? You could be covetous, covetous with only a dime to your name. And you could covet money. But also, you could be wealthy and a cheerful giver. Isn't that right? It's the attitude of heart. It's not what you have. But listen to what he says here. And I, like, I think James put it the best way. Verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice. Now, he's talking about the same thing. We're not getting off our subject. He's talking about the same thing. Trials and tribulations. He starts in verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations, knowing the trial of your faith, work with patience. He's talking about the circumstances of life. If you don't know how to get out of it, ask God for wisdom. He's going to give you wisdom, but ask in faith. God will give it to all men liberally and braideth not. Amen. But ask in faith, nothing wavering. Amen. He that wavereth like the way of the sea, tossed with the wind, he's not going to receive anything from the Lord. Look at, the, look at verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, not that he's poor. Let the brother that's of low degree, he said, preach the gospel to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. Isn't that good news to the poor? The gospel's good news. What's the good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. Let the brother of low degree rejoice that he's exalted. But look at the next part. But the rich in that he is, write this right there, around that made low, made low, put this. He is humble. He's made humble. But the rich in that he is made humble. Or humbled. 
the poor in that he is exalted. Let's look at it on scale. Someone wants balance. I'll show you balance. The poor is exalted and the rich is humble. The poor is exalted and the rich is humble. Why? He goes on to tell you what's going to happen with this guy's riches. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower. That sounds just like the parable of the sower. Withered the grass and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. What he is saying in the rich man that relies on his riches to get out of his temptations and circumstances of life is looking to a wrong frame of reference. He should not be looking because he is prosperous. Even if God made you prosperous, does not mean he loves you any more than the other one. It doesn't mean that. So if he comes off in pride, he's so filled with pride, he thinks he should get it because look at me, I'm a man of great stature. I should get that healing. If anybody should, I should. And then the other one, the one that's poor, as I said, they have nothing and they don't ask for anything and they don't want anything, but when it comes to that healing in their body or that temptation or that trial that has risen in their life, they figure, well, now, Lord, I've never asked anything. I've never done anything. I've always come to church. I've always done this. I've always done that. Now, Lord, you know, I, if anybody should be, I've heard him say it. I've heard him say it. If anybody should be healed, well, now, dear sister, so-and-so should be healed. Why? That is a wrong frame of reference. It doesn't say He sent poverty and healed them. It doesn't say He sent riches and healed them. It says He sent the Word. And if sister so-and-so got the Word, she'd be exalted and healed. And if brother so-and-so got humble before the Lord, he'd be healed, delivered, whatever it is. Can you see that? That's how it works. I'll tell you something about true humility. When that brother's out there and he's shining up his nice Cadillac in his driveway... And he's standing in front of his beautiful home. And uh, this dear sister walks up and she's an elderly lady and she's on Social Security. And she walks up the driveway over there and says, Now, dear brother, I want you to take this $20 and go out and buy your kids a hamburger. And he says, Oh, now, dear sister. He's washing his Cadillac. Got his beautiful home there. She's on Social Security says, I want you just to go ahead and take this $20. Just go treat the family, a little treat. Oh, now, dear sister, I couldn't do that. Why? Because of pride. You know, you're stopping that lady from getting a hundredfold blessing? What's stopping it? Pride. Pride. That's a humbling experience. You know it. I know it just as well as you. It's, it's, it's harder to, to receive. It's easy to give. Boy, I love to give. Don't you just love to give? We're hilarious givers here. I love to give. But, you know you've got to humble yourself to receive. And you know why that's why you've got to humble yourself to receive from God? That's right. You've got to humble yourself. Lord, your word says it. I humble myself to you. I humble myself to your word. That's putting I out of the way. Well, no, I have supported my family all these years. Oh, did you? Did you really? When I hear people talk like that, oh, it gets me right here. Did you really? Whatever happened to God? Put Him first. Who gave you the health? Who gave you the job? Who gave you the strength? Who is your strength? 
Isn't that right? You've been blessed. The next verse, he's not talking about money. He's talking about getting out of your temptation. Look at the next verse. Verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth, endureth, endureth. He endureth but for a while. Endureth temptation. It doesn't say, blessed is the man that pays his way out of temptation. Does it? It doesn't say, blessed is the woman that, uh, you know, begs away out of temptation. But it says, blessed is the man or the woman that endures the temptation. Amen? He endureth. Paul said, all the affliction, all the persecution, I endured. And for that purpose, there's laid up for me, what? A crown of life. Look at this. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Which the Lord hath promised to them that love Him. If you love Him, friends, you're going to endure it. You're going to endure it. And you're going to be patient. And you're going to stand fast on His Word because you love Him. And you're going to watch God work in your behalf. Well, we're getting into something here. Let's go... How many of you know that Paul... And I'll just throw this in just for a nugget of truth. How many of you know that Paul didn't take any money from the Corinthian church? At first, because he, he, didn't want to, he didn't want them to think that he was uh, doing it just to gain something from them. He actually apologized in Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter. He actually apologized to the church because he says, If the only thing I ever offended you by was not taking your money, he says, then forgive me this wrong. See, there's two ways you can look at it. He didn't do it because he was filled up with pride. I don't need your money. He did it because he didn't want to have them think that the only reason why he's doing all these things is because they're supporting him. And sometimes, like we support missionaries. And sometimes you can get the wrong idea. You can get the wrong idea. Satan throws them thoughts inside your mind. What are they doing? This and that. All the other. It just goes through your mind. But Paul says, my heart was right. I didn't want to take your money because I didn't want you to think I was taking it for gain. You know, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. It says the love of money. The love. We're going to see that in a minute. But let's, let's go over here to 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. I, want, I, want to, I have to throw these things in. I said we're going slow. I guess we're going to go slow. This is the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, riches work the same way, the uh, uh, same principle. It doesn't matter what it is you need from God. It's the same principle. The same principle of the sower and the seed. Let's start with verse 6. But this I say, he, that's, he which soweth sparingly shall reap. 2 Corinthians 6, 6. Um, 9, 6 rather. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Notice it's, it matters what you sow. Every man according as he purposeth in his... Every man. You know a rich man can pour, uh, can, can sow... Poorly. You know that? Sparingly. Remember, remember Jesus made the comparison and said, that rich man, all they did was throw in a little bit of what the excess of what they had of their abundance. But he said, this little woman, she threw in all she had. So I don't care how much money you got. You can sow bountifully. And if you're poor out there right now, start saying this. I'm going to sow bountifully. I'm going to reap bountifully. God's going to give me more seed for the sowing. Let's go on and read this. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, 
For God loveth, and there's that word, the word here that's used is hilarious in the Greek. God loveth a hilarious giver. That's the Greek. You know what the Hebrew says? It says to cause to shine. God loves somebody whose face shines when it's time to give. You know why? Because God's a giving God. It, it, he just likes to see a shine on your face when someone says, it's time to give. Time to give. He loves to see that. To cause to shine. Look, next verse. And God is... What? Say it again. If you don't give, is He able? Huh? Then God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, I don't know about you, but what that's saying there to me is that we should always have an abundance. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, the righteousness... His righteousness remains forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Now, if you just stop and think of what he's saying here, and you just think about it, when you give, when you sow, and you reap that first, you can sow just one seed. You can have just one seed. You put it in the ground. You sow that one little seed. If it's a tomato plant, you're going to get a lot of tomatoes. You're going to get a lot of seeds. Isn't that right? But unless you sow it, you're not going to get it. And so when you sow it, you're going to get a lot of seeds. You're going to have more to sow. And if you sow all them, you're going to have a lot more seeds. And it just keeps on, you're just bountiful. Just keep on flourishing. All that you keep on sowing, it just keeps more and more and more and more. It'll get to the point that you cannot outgive God. You can give half your paycheck away and you'll still have an abundance. But look at, look at the key to it. Are you sowing? If you're sowing, you can reap. Sow bountifully so we can reap bountifully. That's exactly what He wants. So don't get off into the deceitfulness of riches and thinking that you've got to, it's wrong to be rich and it's right to be poor. That's not, those both lies of the devil. All this means is to be of a full supply. Now, let's see. Go to six, the sixth chapter of Luke. And, dear Lord, we're just getting started. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah to Jesus. Amen. Sixth chapter. I like this portion of Scripture so much. Hallelujah. The sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Don't get caught up into this. Do it the right way. Look, look at verse 27. Love this, but I say unto you, which hear. Stop right there. Are you hearing? But I say unto you, which hear. And a lot of people don't hear. I'm saying to you that hear. Listen. Love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto them that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do also ye also likewise, to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank of you? 
For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them, which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. If you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children. I stopped right there and I said, glory, and you shall be the children. He said, walk in love, be followers of God as dear children. That's following God. Look what he said here. Be for, and you shall be children of, of the most, of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Give to them that asketh, whether they be good, whether they be evil, no matter what it is, give unto them. Someone says, well, what if I give and they ask again? Give again. He said, pray for them if they're despitefully using you, but give. Why should I give? Just keep giving. Jesus said to give. Just give. 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 Why do I keep giving? What if they're doing wrong with it? Because one day, it's going to hit them right here. Why do you keep giving to me? Because God kept giving and giving and giving. For 4,000 years, He kept giving and giving and giving. And finally, one day, when they wouldn't take anything else that He gave, He gave His Son. Hallelujah. And I'll tell you what. Just keep giving. It's not up to me what they do with that money that you give to them. You just put, a, you put an anointing on that money that when it tries to walk to that bar, it goes... <laughs> they'll get the hint. Hallelujah. Just keep giving and give and give. He said, give to those. And if you expect a return, forget it. You're not giving it in love. Listen, look what he said. Next verse. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also. People don't want to be merciful like He is. He says, as your Father is merciful, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you sh shall be forgiven. Don't condemn the person. Don't judge the person. Just forgive the person and keep on giving. He said, look it. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all shall be measured unto you again. Give. Give. Give from your heart. Give. 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 Give to the evil. Give. To, give. Give not only of your money. Give of your time. Give of yourself. As God gave, and you'll be just as merciful as your father. He gave to those that hated him. He gave to those that murdered his son, but kept giving. And to this day, if there's one of them that was responsible for murdering his son, would get on their knees and lift up their hands out of that faith, he'd say, come on home. Come on home. Come on, I'm not holding it against you. Come on home. Give. Give. That's what he's saying. That's what he means. You'll be just like Paul. Paul said, I'm content. Remember over there? Let's close right here. Let's, let's close right with this scripture. This is a good scripture to close on. Philippians 4.11. Paul said, This is the point you'll get to. I'll tell you what, when I saw the Greek word on this, I just about jumped out of my seat. Look what he said.
Not that I, this verse 11, not 4.11, Philippians 4.11. Not that I, res, uh, that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. I have learned. Yeah, Paul had learned it. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be, the word content, the Greek word means self-sufficient, adequate, needing no assistance at all. I've learned to be adequate, self-sufficient, no assistance. I learned to be to the place that I could do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Adequate. No wonder he could say I fought the fight. No wonder he could say I won the race. No wonder he could say there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness waiting for me. I've learned how to be that way. That's my desire. Is that your desire? Now, he's not talking about self-sufficient in himself. He's talking about self-sufficient in Christ. In Christ. I know how to go to God and have all my needs met. Perfect, entire, wanting nothing. And we didn't finish the parable yet. But we'll finish it and we'll go on. But we're, this is just talking about it. Because we're going to go into the process of getting our hearts turned around. Getting the right things into our hearts. Putting the right ingredients into our hearts. Getting the faith operation. Faith and patience working together. We're going to see how it all works together. We are going to be so saturated with faith and love. Hallelujah. To be dripping off of us. Amen. We'll all be able to say, well, you know, just like Paul, I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Why not? That's why he wants us to. He wants. He, you know, he told Timothy, "I want everybody to see your profiting." He said, "He said, barely exercise profit little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come." He says, "And let your profiting be made known in all." He wants us to profit. If Paul could profit in the Jews' religion, why do you think he's living like this for Jesus? Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to go back and we're going to finish some of these things up. and We'll have to catch it on Sunday morning and Sunday night. But we're going to take our time. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.